the, the time to explore what you're made of is not while we're sitting here talking. Like I can tell you, I can tell you what it feels like at mile 80 of a hundred. I can describe it, but it doesn't do you any good until you're in it yourself and you can experience that. Or, you know, telling an athlete, one of the biggest things, like I said before, that most athletes don't reach their goals because of a psychological disconnect or they, you know, they mentally lose it. The way that you work on that specifically is doing a 15 miles easy and then seven miles hard. And then at that, you know, six to seven mile point, that's where you're, that's where you learn everything. Mm. You know, you don't learn anything in that first 10. You're just jogging along. Do do do. But once you start picking it up and you start to suffer and you really want to slow down and you're, you're hurting, are you really hurting? Examine that, like really feel it. Like close your eyes and just go inside your body and really feel what you're feeling. And nine times out of 10, it's not pain. That was Tim Lucho Wagoner, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. What's up, you guys? Welcome to the show. I'm Jess, your host. And the YTP is the place where every week we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. And from what I hear every week and experience in our interviews, and even in my own life, what I'm finding is that purpose is an ever-evolving concept that looks different for each one of us, but also it's something that we all have the opportunity to play out in each moment. Play out in each moment as in a chance not to miss our lives, an ongoing lesson to take each breath with purpose and truly see how we are moving through the world. And it's from here that we open up the vault to our greatest source of power, the source that doesn't tire at mile 120 of an Ironman or mile 40 of an ultra or when your spouse falls short of supporting your athletic dreams or when you fall short of believing in yourself. It's an awakeness that yields the bravery needed for self-reflection and introspection and it's the awareness needed for all of us to develop a very true sense of who we are and what it feels like to be us, whether that's at work, home on the couch, or at mile 120 of an Ironman. It's this awakeness that holds us accountable for our actions and provides us with the awareness to see when change is the only option to remain on point to reach our goals in life. Our guest today is all about the importance of truth. And this, this is what we're all about at Yogi Triathlete. You will not join our tribe and just get swim, bike, and run workouts. How could we ever limit you in that way? You'll get recovery guidance, nutrition support, mindfulness training, unlimited access to your coach. And really, I could go on because when it comes to moving into your best self, we don't draw a line because we simply cannot. Our athletes, in a sense, become our coaches by trusting us with their grandest vision of their life and the goals they want to hit along the way. They continually make us step up and listen, listen ever so closely so that we can develop a plan and not 16 weeks out, but day after day, week after week, and sometimes moment to moment, a plan that will serve each and every YT athlete to their highest good. It's a fact. You cannot train for endurance sports without it affecting your entire life. And that's why our athletes are kicking some serious ass on and off the race course. All of our athletes are awake and ready to their perfect level. And through celebrating their willingness to train like a warrior, they are moving mountains they never dreamed of welcoming into their lives. 
being awake and ready is one of the core values at Yogi Triathlete, and it's not just ours alone. And you will hear it in our conversation today with our friend Lucho. What an honor to finally sit across from the table from such a knowledgeable, open, willing, and accomplished athlete, coach, husband, and dad. We met Lucho 10 years ago on a plane as we were all on our way home from Ironman Arizona. He was divinely assigned the adjacent seat to BJ, and it was within minutes that the two of them struck up a conversation. I can still remember the question, the one that changed BJ forever as an athlete. I can still hear Lucho's voice when he asked him, why do you want to be out there for so long? Well, it's been a 10-year relationship between these two, so happy anniversary, Lucho and BJ. Obviously, they stayed in touch after this flight, and he soon became BJ's coach. It was clear that on that plane ride that he was BJ's mentor, or as we would say in the spiritual world, his teacher. And it was also clear that BJ was ready for Lucho to appear in his life. Lucho has remained a mentor to BJ for many years, and it's his non-cookie-cutter way of training that resonated so deeply with BJ, a one-on-one coaching relationship that focuses on diligent work, familiarity of being extremely uncomfortable in training over and over again, and present moment awareness, to name a few. These are faculties that continue to inform BJ as an athlete and more so as a coach, as he works with his athletes now to get the work done needed to be their best self on race day by encouraging self-study to gain insight of what they actually need to reach their goals. Lucho's story has some familiar flavors to last week's guest, Tony Krupichka, which by the way, thank you so much for your feedback. You guys, Tony's podcast was one of our Actually, it is our most popular episode to date, so if you haven't had a listen, please go back and check it out. According to Tony, we covered some ground that was not typical in his experience of being interviewed, and wow, to me, that's a huge compliment. So thank you to everyone who listened and left a review on Apple Podcasts. We need 77 more reviews to meet our goal of 100 by the end of August. So get to it, you guys. We see the numbers. You're listening. Please share a few words in support of the show. It will help so, so much. All right, Lucho, he grew up in Kansas with a high school of 96 students. There was 10 in his graduating class. He ran in high school amongst a slew of other activities. He earned a scholarship to college and started running with his new team at the University of Arkansas. Similar to Tony, yes, but what comes next is where the uniqueness of our lives show their truth. It's too good of a story to reveal it in the intro, but I'll say this. It involves a lot of cigarettes, a hurricane, and a perfect series of events that directed Lucho into his next phase as a professional triathlete. He shares his experiences so candidly with us, his regrets, which in hindsight can't be regrets since what happened in their wake were some of the best things in his life, like the birth of his first son, Ben, who was an infant at the time of our plane ride home from Arizona. This is a conversation about the importance of being truly honest, the invaluable gains from suffering and training, and the ultimate gift for any athlete, which is letting go of the watch to let your potential rip. Lucho has taken time to examine himself and learn from that information, and I think that's what makes him such an incredible coach and mentor and dad and husband and person. 
And I know that he may argue with me on those points a bit, but I'm not opening up to that space because I believe he is truly all of those people wrapped into one. And I could have continued this conversation for hours. The language that we use may be different, but I see that at the core of his motives is mindfulness. And it's through his awakeness that Lucho trains his athletes to be able to skillfully navigate themselves because when it all comes down to it, no one knows you better than you. No one knows me better than me, although there are so many of us walking the streets completely unaware. We recorded this interview at Lucho's Mountain Home in Golden, Colorado, and you will hear the silly goings-on of his two boys, Oliver and Ben, in the background as they very slowly prepared to go outside and play with the neighbor kid we fondly named Steve. I know some podcasts block that stuff out, but for me... What's life without flavor? And what's better than the simplicity of three young boys having fun? So to say that I'm fired up to share this conversation is an understatement. It is a joy and an honor to introduce our friend, BJ's mentor, and a seriously amazing coach, multi-time course record breaker, podcaster, not to mention his extensive talents in the field of cake artistry, Tim Lucho Wagoner. So yeah, so we're here with Lucho, who, uh, who we met 2007 on an airplane. On an airplane. Mm-hmm. I thought you looked like David Duchovny. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody <laughs> said that. He's a doppelganger. That. Yeah, people do say he's a good-looking guy. Yeah, thanks. It was. It was. That was one of the. Mo- that was one of the most powerful conversations that you had ever experience like you got on that plane and one athlete and you came off the he came off that plane totally like transformed and I think he just really connected with you and what you were saying and and uh one thing I have always loved about the way and this is like the second time I think you and I are meeting in person and I want to say was the first time on the plane like I think it might have been because I don't think I've even we were up Leadville I don't know if I saw him I saw you that day yeah 2010. Yeah, if I was racing, I don't remember anything. No, at the end. It was at the end. I still don't. (laughs) When I race, I'm checked out. Yeah. Yeah. But the the thing that I always loved, the way that you coached with BJ and still you mentor him um, from time to time and uh, is that you're just so matter of fact, you know, and and that's what I love. And I'm the same way as his wife. And and just to see your coaching relationship, like coaching an athlete relationship, it was so fruitful for him because it was just, it wasn't candy coated. And it's exactly how BJ needs to, this is me thinking (laughs) I I know what BJ needs, but from my perspective, it, it really was what took you up so many levels as an athlete. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that conversation, we were, t- we started talking about the Ironman because we both did Arizona. And then we were talking about times and you were like, we're happy with your time. And I think I said, it was okay. And this is only the second or third Ironman I had done. And you. This is my giving, last. That was your last. Mm-hmm. You were like, how was your run? I was like, oh, it was, it was long. He goes, how long was it? <laughs> and I said, I think it was four and a half hours. And you're like, wow, that's way long, too long to be out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why do you want to be out there that long? Yeah. And so those words uh, really stuck with me. I think right at that moment, it was like, yeah, like why Why do I want to suffer that long? Like, don't mm-hmm. I want to do it faster? And then we got into discussion. And then um, I was just thinking about this the other day. 
I think it was a few weeks after that, you had given me your contact information. You were like, yeah, if you want to go for a run, like hit me up. And I'm like, I think I got the courage enough up to email you. And you were like, I'm going to Telefarms. I'm going to run, you know, eight or 10 miles, you know, meet me there at six. And uh, <laughs> you remember this. <laughs> it's my first run with you. And we got there and I had like a water bottle or a water belt or something. I was like, I'm going to bring it. And then I showed, saw you show up and you didn't have anything. So I'm like, all right, I don't need anything either. <laughs> and you were like, oh, we're just going to run math. And I'm like, okay, math. Yeah, I can do that. And we went out and out and back. And I think my heart rate was pegged because you kept checking in with my heart rate. Like, what was it? And I think it was like 165, 175 you have mostly. A high heart rate and I have a high heart rate. But you were just comfortably talking the whole time. And I was so thankful. Like, you were just talking, talking. I didn't have, I was just like, mm hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I've been on many of those runs with <laughs> other athletes yeah. where you, you pretend your shoe's untied so you can have just a oh, split yeah. break or you, you have to pee. Yeah. Let's stop. I got to go to the bathroom. And then you don't because you're, yeah. Yeah. It was opening. I, I mean, I just hung on and I hung, it was great. It was exactly what I needed. You learned far more from that than being in that reverse situation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was suffering, you know, but I just wanted to soak up that experience. And I knew, I, I just knew from that moment we met, like there was something, something deeper that I connected with and, and I knew it would help helped me out and after that run I got home and I think I drank like two gallons of water so <laughs> thirsty yeah you came home and you were like you were just so like you were so grateful to be alive <laughs> that you were able to you were like I was just hanging on the whole time but I did it I did it like not only did I get the guts up to email him then I showed up and then I did it you know I think it would be reversed now I think that I would be hanging on I don't know I do that. yeah yeah not on the track. If we said, <laughs> yeah, if we, we got on the track, 200s, I, would, I would hold my own. But I, I think if we went for that same 8 to 10 miles, yeah. I would, I'd be off the back. Yeah, and I think, I, th I think what happened is my perception of pace, you know, perception mm -hmm. of like, or, or what, you, what you think your effort is. What, your effort, what you think your effort is and what you can actually do. And right. we did that countless times in training, mm -hmm. and, and we could talk about that. But um, so that was our first meeting, and from then on, I just I connected with your philosophy and your big, as everyone knows, math um, proponent, which is the Maffetone method. When it's right. When it's right. When it's right for the right person. Yes. Yeah, we were talking yeah. about it's that. It's not a one size fits all. And why is that? Yeah, when would it not be? When would it not be right? When have you seen it not work? Um, and wait, the 180 for, formula for specifically. Who, for people who don't know what math is. Right. So math, Dr. Maffetone, Phil Maffetone, and the maximum aerobic fun function is MAF. Um, it's 180 minus your age. And I've always felt that that works well for a starting point. And a lot of times it works well regardless. Of, of You can find out later that it actually works incredibly effectively. Um, I've seen athletes though who, well, let's take two athletes. One of them, you have a lactate threshold of 180, right? Mm -hmm. I know you used to. Mm -hmm. And I've had athletes with a lactate threshold, Mike Wasserman, of about 164. You're both using 180 as your starting point. Right. And it's not, even though you, got, you have the age differential, that shows that you two are, are vastly different. And you can take two athletes, I've seen two athletes, same age, with a lactate threshold variance of 10 beats. So immediately, if you're 
if, if you're using 180 minus your age, one of those athletes is either running 10 beats too hard or 10 beats too easy. If you go strictly by... Yeah, if you go by the, aid, the right. formula. Right. But if you take somebody... If somebody comes to me and they have never used a heart rate monitor in their life and they have very little experience running, there has to be a way to communicate and, and guide. I can't tell an athlete who's never run before to go out and run moderate. What's moderate? <laughs> what What's moderate? Probably a, too hard. Right. <laughs> right. Or too easy. It's almost, you know, it, it could go either way. They haven't had a race result. No idea on what their pace would be. Um, so you have to start somewhere. And 180 minus your age is generally really safe. Um, but the other, I, the concept is that if you stick with one thing long enough, it'll work. And Even that's, if it's wrong. And that's the, <laughs> that's the key point right there. Unless, it, if, unless it's really wrong. Mm -hmm. So if your lactate threshold is 150 and you're 25, it ain't going to work. <laughs> it will not work. <laughs> right? That's a, such an extreme case. I've never even heard of that. But as long as the method gets you close... And it's a sound method with good principles, and it's it, it'll work. Just stick with it, and that's how math, the foundation of math is longevity, and health. Mm -hmm. um, math is designed to be moderate enough where you're never, you're never crushing it. You're never on the edge. You're never at your limits. Where do you see people take math the wrong way, or? Oh, that's a, a okay. great question. <laughs> um, first, if you're training for a 5K. Even for a marathon, um, it might not be right for you. Uh, you don't need to do math until you cross that plateau. Once you cross that plateau and stop getting adaptive bent gains from it, you start going backwards. Anytime you adapt to a stress, if you keep going with it, you'll, you'll actually lose fitness from that. So you have to change something, and it's either volume or intensity. So people who take the math principle or method and they go way too long with it um, and the other thing is people who think that that number range is down to one beat like people like 128 to 134 what what no it's it's a very broad range it's not it's i think it's about a 15 beat range instead of a 10 and a lot of people think it's five so mm. but your body doesn't work that way your heart rate in particular isn't a one beat thing. It's, it, it can be 10 beat variants. And then if you've got somebody who's like really trying to stick to one number, yeah. then look at the watch, look at the watch, yeah. look at the watch, look at the You're watch. Losing, that's, a, that's something that has come about in the last maybe five years, six years, mostly when I started mountain running in, in just connecting with the world around you, not your watch. And if, and if you learn the right way if you or if you pay attention in training you you can learn to feel your body and connect with your body and you can i can go out right now and run a mile and tell you within one beat what my heart rate is just because i listen to it you know but people who you just see that with wattage you see that with with mm -hmm. the garmin the garmin in particular the garmin yeah it yeah. becomes somewhat anti-electronic oh, <laughs> i i've tossed I, I, I even tried to use a watch on the run at Santa Rosa in 70.3, and I forgot it in transition. Yeah, good. I don't... I, for the past two years, I don't wear a watch. No tan lines. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have no watch tan lines. But I think what... Uh, along with our training and, and understanding your body, I think what really got me, too, was looking ahead and all the people all constantly looking yeah. at their arm and the, and the waste of time, wasting time of waiting for it to... Mm -hmm. to 
sync you know, with the satellite. Sync, and oh, it's yeah. Like, I'm getting my location. I'm getting my location. Mm-hmm. You know? And getting <laughs> caught up in it. And I, th- I feel like sometimes it just, it can hold you back to a point. Or Absolutely. if you're struggling <clears throat> and you're trying to hit that pace, well, maybe it's not that point right now. Like you need to just yes. come back a little bit. And that's one thing that's, that I think you've ingrained into me. <laughs> And I think as a really key point is just to detach. That is good. Mm-hmm. It is. But to detach and be okay and understand that when it comes down to it, you need mm-hmm. to be in tune with your body. I think the, one of the biggest risks with that is becoming dependent on it. And being able to train with or without is where I want my athletes to be. I want them to be able to take off the watch and do a 10-mile tempo run you know, on a course that they've run 50 times. They know it's 10. Just go out and run it without a watch or nothing. Most of them can't do it. They have to have some verification. It's almost like the tree falls in the forest and if nobody's around to hear it, did it happen? Right. Or is that right? Did it make a noise? Yeah. yeah. It's like if you don't wear your yeah. Garmin, does the workout count? And if it's not up on Strava, like, <laughs> exactly. did, it, did yeah. it ever happen? Like, yeah. No. <laughs> My training logs nowadays read like, a, like this vague idea. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's like I ran somewhere between two and eight miles. I'm not sure. I didn't wear a watch. I looked at the, you know, I looked at the clock when I left and forgot to look when I got home. Are you still keeping logs? I know in the past you, yeah. you re- rewrote down a lot of your stuff. Those yeah, handwritten. I, I, and that's a quirky little thing is I've tried the digital logs, but it's so impersonal. You know, I, I get a great deal of, I don't know what you would call it, but I satisfaction out of getting a new log book and I get these really nice journals, bound journals, and I handwrite all the lines for each day of the week and I handwrite all the, everything in it. And it's very personal. It becomes yeah. this personal thing. It's like a, it's a creation. And you take great care in writing down what you just did. Yeah. And that's the connection. That's the post-workout connection. During it, you're, you're, you know, you're enjoying what you're doing and you're getting this physical benefit and all this stuff, but afterward, you write it down. And it's there. Yeah. And then I can go back. I can go back to, I have a training log upstairs from Ironman in 1997. And I, and there's a coffee stain on one of the pages. And I remember spilling that coffee stain on that day because I was so messed up. It was like a 170 mile ride and hundred degrees. And I'm not, it's not one of those old stories. I uphill both ways to school. It was, it was legit. It was brutal. And I remember just, just spilling my coffee. I was so tired I'm trying to drink coffee after, after the ride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still do that, but I remember spilling that coffee stain on that page that I and was And you can't do that in an electronic form. It just not at all. It just doesn't exist. No, that wouldn't work. So the computer <laughs> as we know as we know oh yeah yeah like this, this official trackpad Cabernet. don't touch it if yeah. we touch the trackpad on my laptop right now game off that's funny yeah bj spilled a glass of cabernet across the keyboard a couple, yeah. couple weeks ago but that's yeah. the only now i have to use a mouse which i haven't been using a mouse for years cuz i hate this whole situation right. that i have to have over here so it was like breaking a habit yeah. and seeing like how many, I was like, oh, and I'd have to shut it down. But it's no different than like breaking the habit of mm-hmm. looking at the watch. And, yeah. and when you said, you know, like it's, if they don't have the watch, it's like the workout never happened. Right. And in <clears throat> I our, I remember feeling that way too. I, when I started to I can totally relate it. to it. And when we were getting ready to go on our trip, we got all of our medals. Cause I'm like, we're not packing medals that are in a Tupperware in mm-hmm. a shelf in the basement. Yeah. Number one, what are they even doing there? So it's like, we're getting rid of these. And 
I'm a little bit more like I'm gonna jump off the cliff and I'm gonna throw everything out. I'm the like, same way. Yeah, and BJ's more and I and I totally want to respect his process. <laughs> Big surprise. And um, and so I said, you know, I'm getting rid of all my medals. What do you want to do? And he's like, Well, keep the Iron Man ones and keep you know this one and this one. And I was like, All right. So I brought them all up on the table and I figure oh, I'm just gonna let him sit here and you know I know him by now I'm like I'll give it like a week and then mm-hmm. I'll ask him again he's like well maybe just like this these two and I'm like all right so I got him down to like just a couple That's not bad. yeah and then I had the box out and I'm packing them all up and I'm like I'm getting rid of all of mine what do you want to do he's like just throw them in the box awesome. just get rid of them but when I Mm-hmm. When I had them all out on the table and they would have covered this whole table and you start looking at the stories like, oh yeah, that's the Boulder half marathon I ran to find out if my foot was broken and it was mm-hmm. and here's the Denver marathon when it was like freezing rain and I you, ran you that ran one. that one. Yeah, oh man. That was unbelievable. That was my first marathon. It's my PR. That was my second marathon. <laughs> it was not my PR. That was my third. It was my PR and I walked. <laughs> I got so hypothermic in one of the parts. I was so cold. It was so cold. I wore a heart rate monitor. And my heart rate went from 170 to 150 in like two miles. And my face went numb. It was unbelievable. It was so cold. I was miserable. But I remember packing those up and clearing off the table. And I had this moment of like, did any of this happen? Yeah. Yeah, and and that. it was just I could just see my mind like mm-hmm. like I had this moment of like you know just I'm watching and I'm not gonna buy into it but I'm watching it come up like if I get rid of all of these did it happen and I'm like yeah it did happen because I still remember that Boulder Marathon yeah. that I wrote, ran with a broken foot to see if it was broken and I will never forget that Denver yeah. Marathon with the freezing mm-hmm. rain no way you know what you should do is take photographs of each one and put them digital well well I can't now but um because yeah, they're can't gone now. you can't now they're gone <laughs> my wife does that with some of her stuff but then I'm like but I felt like I'm still hanging on like I don't I like to cut yeah. ties so that I can have more space for yeah. whatever's gonna come in mm-hmm. but spiritually not yeah it's metaphorically right? yeah totally yeah. like a weight sure I don't like to have weight in my life um, as little as possible. And uh, as these things were leaving our house, like I could feel that weight leave. Mm-hmm. But, and I think it's the same thing with the watch. Like once I really was in tune with my body and, and, and I think BJ's the same way, like I can go out and run and tell you what my heart rate is mm-hmm. like within a beat or two mm-hmm. at any given time. I know it from my breath. Like, oh, this is a sure, Z3 breath. breath. Is this fantastic. is a Z4 breath. This is a Z5 breath. And rhythm. There's a tremendous amount of physical rhythm yes. to Yes. Yeah, and I know like when I'm running slower, mm-hmm. like I maybe I You're don't awkward. feel as smooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like swimming slow. So exactly. hard. That's so hard. hard to do. <laughs> yeah. It is hard. It is hard. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But once I got more familiar with that, there is a freedom of breaking that mm-hmm. You know, now I use the data for like I'll say to him like, "Do you want do you want my heart rate on this? Do you want my heart rate on this That's race?" Good stuff, like, man. I'm That's just to see where I am. Um, One of the other things that I've found athletes do or or happens with a heart rate monitor in particular is that we become so in touch with with what those numbers mean mm. that if if they're off on a day it can change it's not necessarily because you're feeling bad or having a bad day or anything like that but it will trigger that response so if your normal heart rate is 140 to 150 and that's what is your math and that is what is easy and that is when i feel good those are you learn that if you learn that number and then you go out one day and it's 95 degrees and you're a little bit dehydrated not necessarily all bad things but your heart rate's 160 you see that 160 
And regardless of how you feel, it triggers a mental response. You respond to that number. Mm-hmm. And it might not be right. Right, might, and it can might create feel fantastic. stress in the body. Very much in your it mind. can. In yeah. your mind, yeah, yeah. Or your mental can create stress in your body. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a huge tie to that. Huge. And so that trigger, seeing that number triggers a Pavlovian thing, right? You don't mm-hmm. drool, but you maybe you slow down, and you should. Right. And that's with mostly with racing. That's with racing, where it's. I always say that the person who crosses the finish line with the lowest heart rate isn't necessarily the winner. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it went fastest. <laughs> they don't care about your heart rate on the podium. Right. So, so you had sense, said something earlier, which you kind of touched upon here. How does like getting attached to this, uh, the data or, you know, like I have to run this mm-hmm. heart rate. How would that limit an athlete like from their potential? Um, in a lot of ways, <clears throat> like I just said, in that if, if like there's a, there's a, a big, a bigger disparity in the, the the heart rate range as to what could be good or bad. So math, one forty to one fifty. If you run at one fifty five, that could actually be better, partly because of metabolic economy with the you know the carbohydrate um, fat crossover point. It actually might be higher than math probably is, and running a little bit above that is actually better. I've said on my other podcast, my podcast, um, that ten beats over math is actually a sweet spot. That's where I think most people should be at. More often, not all the time, but more often. Um, and so you get locked into that idea that, you know, 140 to 150 is where I need to be. If I go over, it's gonna hurt me. No, not necessarily. If you feel good and you pop over to 150 to 160 and run a little harder, it's probably all good. It's probably a great thing. And how would not popping over, like how would that, I guess I'm kind of going back to that first, that original mm-hmm. question of like, how would that limit their potential by running at too low of a heart rate? So if you, well, first of all, with cardiac drift, if you're running at 140 to 150 and you're on a 20 mile run, your pace just slows and slows and slows. So if your goal is a 310 marathon at Ironman and you are on your long runs and you're always running by heart rate and event by the end of those long runs, you're running 930 pace, 10 minute pace, you're not really moving towards that. <laughs> you know, you need to be running at you you need to be running at a at a point that is muscularly stressful and other systems in your body matter so heart rate shows um with mafetone anyway it shows more of a metabolic moderation but muscles matter um the central nervous system matters strides and speed work that create this economy of movement those are critical you're not going to get that running 10 minute pace or 12 minute pace you get that by sprinting um, muscularly, you know, an Ironman is, is about strength and, you know, doing hill repeats and pushing threshold on the bike on, for wattage or muscle endurance type stuff has nothing to do with heart rate, but muscles matter. So there was an experience that you had BJ with Lucho on, was it on the track when he took your watch? That was on the cold creek. Oh yeah. That was when you were in Lafayette. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he took... Yeah. I like this story because it, I think it was showing you that you were, you were fitter, you were faster than you thought you were. And this were. is another really good point as to how the heart rate can limit you. Like if an athlete is in a race and they're running along and, and again, it comes back to that trigger and what we've learned with heart rate. If you're in an Ironman and you're at mile five and you're on goal pace and you feel fantastic and you look down at your watch and you're 10 beats over you suddenly don't feel fantastic because you've learned 
mm-hmm. that 10 beats over math is bad and I can't hold this for a marathon. And so you slow down because your heart rate said to, or the watch said to, and that heart rate can, your heart rate can elevate 10 beats just from resting, going and rested. You can see a shift to the right of lactate threshold by 10 beats by just being tapered and glycogen repleted and ready to go. And so you, that number isn't, that's not what's happening. And that's it's like listening to the number as opposed to listening to your body. Yeah. yeah. Listening to like your gut and your intu- yeah. intuition, like, wait a minute, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm feeling like really good. I'm going to go. And yeah. I'm okay. I'm, I'm risking there. There may be a risk at the end. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I got to go. And I, I, I coach athletes for the Ironman marathon up to about mile six. And then after that, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to believe that I know what's going to happen. <laughs> I can't tell you what's going to be happening at mile 18. How are they with that unknown of you not taking I, the them way all I do the way? It, I, in their training, I, I prepare them for that. And in their long runs, I'm always pushing that. The same concepts where use the heart rate monitor early. If you're going to wear one, we use it early to hold you back until about mile two or three. And if, you know, warm up into it and then settle in to around goal pace or heart rate, whichever one you're going to use until about mile six. And at mile six, all your questions will be answered. You'll know really well what you need, what, what's going to happen and how you feel. Should you speed up? Should you slow down? Should you hold pace? Um, and yeah, it, it's a take it as it comes because nobody can predict no. Eight mile eighteen of a marathon. No, There's so Never. much happening. Or mile twenty or sixteen. Or like mile wherever 10, I hit you, really. Right? Exactly. It's just so up in the air. And so the main thing is just to don't start too hard. If you start too slow, if you start twenty six seconds too slow for that first <laughs> mile, you now have you have to make up one second a mile for the next twenty five, twenty six miles, right? Right. One second a mile. That's turning to look at the guy behind you. It's insignificant. By starting 26 seconds too slow, or no, let's say 25. But yet, so many people start what? 25 seconds too fast. Yeah, well, oh. because they're feeling good. <laughs> and then they're, they're tapered, and, and they're then like, they're losing a minute a mile <laughs> over the last, you know. Yeah, it should so, be the other way. It should be. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I try to get athletes to start 30 seconds to a minute slow. But I love it because you're 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 empowering them to be accountable to themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, I love having a coach because it's accountability. It's going to make me do it. But you're kind of putting it back on them and saying, here's up till six. And then after that, it's going to be you on the yeah. course. I'm, I can't do this for you. Right. And you're also, you're seeing them as capable. Yeah, always. That, yeah. I think that's so Because I don't important. set unrealistic expectations. But yeah. I also, I almost always have more faith in the athlete than they do themselves. Yeah. Because I believe firmly that, A, their brains are untapped if it's all of our brains are. And if you can tap into that, then you can exceed any physical limitations that you've set within reason. I mean, I'm I'm not going to run a 152 marathon tomorrow just because I believe I can, right? (laughs) Not that, but you know, most of the, most of the failures, if you want to call them failures, most of the times that athletes don't reach their goals, it's because of something mentally. It's very rarely physically. How do you work with that with your uh, athletes? Do you work with the mental piece on that? That's hard. I mean, I know you guys interviewed Siri Lindley, mm-hmm. yeah. who's a psychologist. I mean, she's a, she has a degree in sports psychology, right? Masters. Um, I don't pretend to be that smart at all. Mm. Um, my, most of mine is through trial and error and paying attention to athletes and how they respond. Mm-hmm. Um, I've coached somewhere in the ballpark of five to 600 athletes at this point. <clears throat> Plus, I've really 
taken the time to examine myself, honestly and openly through my, or how I think <clears throat> in training and racing, um, never been afraid to face those fears and learn from them and work on them. And so it's mostly been just trial and error. I've read a few books, but they're, they mostly, it's, it's very general. And with psychology, I don't think you can be that way because we have, what, a trillion neurons in our brains mm -hmm. and they're all individual. Yeah. So your brain is completely different than mine. So how do you write a book on general psychology? Right, exactly. You don't. We are more unique mentally than we are physically. And so it's mostly a matter of getting to know the athlete and asking them questions that reveal that. Well, yeah. perspective is going to always keep us very individual because my perspective yep. of looking at that plant right there <laughs> is going to be very different than like if Wait, we were to write down. <laughs> yeah. That's my cat. <laughs> <laughs> but um, listening, mm -hmm. like listening. You have to. to. Yeah. You have to listen. Yep. And, you know, I work with some of BJ's athletes and, and I, I take more of a spiritual approach where I, I'm teaching meditation and I'm teaching mindfulness. And so mindfulness and, yeah, mindfulness and being able to kind of get into a gap and start that self-study mm -hmm. so that now you can at least see the thoughts. Mm -hmm. Whereas most people are kind of just, they're functioning in the thoughts. They're going from, they're taking action on like this thought, that thought, that, as right. opposed to getting into some kind of gap between the stimulus and the response and being able to see that. And then, and, and being able to choose, like we can choose, Yeah, well, absolutely. we can get to a point where we can choose mm -hmm. what thoughts we want to indulge in, whether they're negative or positive or whatever they are, at least yep. you're choosing now. And then if you're choosing, then you're aware, then you can mm -hmm. now take it to the next step of being aware of how that choice, what, what are the consequences right. or the benefits or whatever yep. it is of that choice. And do you want to repeat it? Yeah. Yeah. That's ex Yeah. Exactly. But it's uh, it's different for everyone, and in mm -hmm. for I've had my own transformational process, and I'm still in it. But looking really Always hard at myself, oh my god! Once I started looking, I was like, wow! Like yeah. take the mirror away. That girl is awful. Which is funny with that because I've done a ton of that too, and it's with that. I don't know if you either get better at it or you enjoy it more. Oh, I love One it. One of the two. I think it's enjoyment. I because love once you it. start that self-examining process and you realize that you you can make these these it's healing ish. Oh, it's, like it's very healing. And correcting things that I don't know if good or bad is the right description for them, but yeah. things that you may not like about yourself and it becomes addictive, I think. Uh, yeah, and like I definitely it. have that <laughs> yeah. like addictive like mm -hmm. but you the the, the tough part though is being truly honest. And that's what I see as a big problem with society as a whole. Oh, People absolutely. not taking responsibility for what they do. It's because I don't even think... On multiple levels. They're not present for the choice of what they're doing to, to, right. to get them into the, whatever mm -hmm. that action is. They're and, an autopilot. Yeah, just, I mean... I think, I think health, <clears throat> physical health is the greatest example of that. Is people who just let their bodies go to hell and they don't, they don't take responsibility for that. A lot of times they don't. Like, this is my vehicle to get get yeah. it done in this world. Like, yeah. I want to keep this thing, I want to keep this thing healthy. And I've mm -hmm. gone, you know. And that's a choice. All three of us have gone probably to the extreme level of it. And now I'm kind of finding more of this lifestyle thing, although I did just do my first ultra, which I'm sure our, oh, our no. listeners are so sick of I because I talk about it all the time because <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, I was very brief in that 
arena because I realized how unhealthy it was. Yeah. Well, I did, I did the, um, I did a 50 K. So I did like the, the sprint level ultra. (laughs) That's not as hard as an Ironman. 26 miles on an Ironman. No, I mean, going into a 32 mile or 30, whatever it is. I I have no idea. Uh, I was actually in the last 10 miles of the race and okay. came out and I was like, I, I don't even know how long a 50 K is. Like how yeah. long am I running? You it's know, awesome. and I'm like almost to the end you of the race. You don't need to know. My watch was dead. <laughs> my watch was dead and there was no mile markers. So I was just like, well, as long as I keep following the blue flags, Absolutely. then I'll get there, yep. you know? And it was just a blast. Um, That's cool. But tag, to, to kind of backtrack a little bit about this idea of, of mindfulness, I get, I'm at a point now, we talk about enjoying it, where like if something really fearful is coming in, and, and it's not to say that sometimes I don't find myself already in the action of what I would never choose to do. And right. I'm like, whoa, how did I get here? Because of course that still happens. But there's some times where I'm like, all right, fear, like, I can hang here all day long, right? Like, you can hang out there, and I'm just going to hang out in this gap, right? Are you talking more, like, emotional? Or, like, negative self-talk, Have you done anything with physical fear and explored that? What do you mean? Like, what scares you? Would you you base jump? Yes. You would? Oh wait, base jump. No, that's not with um <laughs> That's jumping that's, off that's, a building with a parachute. Yeah. The, the uh No, I want to jump out of an airplane yeah. though. Yeah, sure. Yeah, different. Yeah, different. Yeah, yeah, yeah different. different. Would you would you swim with a great white shark? Like what what scares you though? That would scare me. Yeah. What terrifies you physically? Yeah, like being ripped apart by an animal. Right. And so that was part so of So would you confront that? Well, that was part of doing this ultra. And so it was that was Was it an ultra with bears? Well, it was in the woods. I was strategically 20... placed to come out and attack you. <laughs> I, At the start, they let a grizzly go when you stay ahead of it. It's like Hunger Games. Yeah. No, but well, irrational fears, and and maybe mm-hmm. that's whether you know people think past lives or whatever. I absolutely can like imagine in such great detail of being ripped apart by an See, animal. That's a great thing to be. The visualization ability is yeah. amazing. And so, have you seen The Revenant? Yes. Yes. There you oh go. Oh my gosh. Yes. Got, that was that a, bear scene. That bear scene was insane. It was insane. It was so real. Like, I tell people that's what it's like. If you want to know what it's yeah. like to be attacked by a bear, just watch that because that's it. So I, I, I have, know, but... to answer your question, absolutely I've done that. And I think running that that race and even maybe that might have been like for somebody like dipping their toe in the water mm-hmm. for me, that was like overcoming a huge fear. We lived here in Boulder and I never hiked because I was scared of whatever mountain lions and really and so i signed up for this race because it scared me and then i you know and but then in my head i'm like yeah but bj will train with you and Mm -hmm. then he was like he got on the trail with me the first day and sprained his ankle see you later and then i'm like (laughs) okay (laughs) so it was all getting like set up the universe was setting it up perfect (laughs) yeah see ya and then um leading up to the race and i was so i joined some groups and i had people but i was like well you know i'll be in a race Mm -hmm. there'll be people around me i won't be in the woods by myself i was by myself that entire day and so in leading up to it what I practice in the face of fear because that's a really really strong emotion Mm -hmm. like it is and it can be paralyzing especially the kind that prevents you from living you know like I always have wanted to go out and run on the trail and it was paralyzing me from doing that and so what I do is I practice being calm Mm -hmm. in that moment in the face of that fear whether I'm in the woods or I'm, you know, in my living room and really looking at it and feeling and then feeling into my gut, like, should you turn around and go back the other way? And I have done that. Like, 
like this feeling of like, you know what, it, there's, there's a fear that's, that's fake. And then there's a fear that maybe you need to listen to. Right. And yeah. like, there was a time where I was on the trail by myself. I told you about this BJ. And I just was like, I kept, I was like, you're fine. You're like, just practice being calm. And I just felt like I was being watched. I don't know what, but I ended up turning around and going back it's really a mountain the <clears throat> other way, maybe. They watch you up here. Yeah. And then the next time I hit that trail, I did it again. I got right back. First, I ran by it. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, don't, don't run by it. Go back on it. Practice being calm. And I did. And I finished the, the whole trail. And so for me, it's like, I want to keep facing that. Especially you think there's the a certain amount of faith involved in that? Huge. Like just blind Tr- faith. Trust that... I'm going into this. I'm going to practice being calm. I always think about this. Faith that you're going to be okay. Like you have yeah, to, I think you have to hold on to that. Faith that I'm going to be okay for sure. Because you would never put yourself in a situation where you were absolutely sure you're not going to be okay. Yeah, no, I wouldn't right? do that. Right? No, because so that's, that's, have that's, have that. that's your, the reptilian brain, sure. right? That would that's be suicide. That would be crazy trying to reversal of hardwiring. Yeah. But yeah, faith that I'm going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. And, no, and, and take it one step further. No matter... What, what happens? Right. Yeah. yeah, that's hard. I love that stuff. That's amazing stuff. I do too. Like that, but that's, it doesn't mean that. it's easy. And I think that. Do you have a story like that? Um, lots. Well, give us yeah. one. What are you scared? Most of the time, I was just ignorant. <laughs> like I, I, it wasn't. Fake. I wasn't very skillful. It was bordering about it. on just stupidity. Like I didn't, I didn't believe for a second that I was going to get hurt. It just never even crossed my mind, and so I just did it, and I was fine. But through that, I've learned that um, most of the time, that leap of faith that you take, you're going to be fine. And I think that encompasses a lot of things that we do in, li- in life. You guys picking up and leaving, that's a big jump. That had to have been scary. Huge. Mm-hmm. Oh, massively. Yeah, massively scary. But like, you did it. And, and, and I remember thinking that that was, that was awesome. Like, you had to have been scared. Yeah, Because there's every no day. security. We, we, as humans, we thrive on security. Yeah, there were times and we, we didn't know where we were going to sleep right. or what time we were going to be As in. you get that ball rolling, you start yes. to realize, oh, well, it's day two, and we're totally fine. This is easy. And then day three, and then three years, yeah. and, and whatnot. And, and for me, it's like, you just have to keep rolling the ball. Yeah. I can't, I can't stop it or go backwards. That's mm. not, I don't feel like innately that's why I came here. I came right. here to keep pushing that ball and then maybe give it a good kick and then have to catch up to it. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there was fear every single day on that, on that trip because we did leave like quote unquote security. I had mm-hmm. a big yoga following. BJ had a big fat paycheck. Like we had the, I lived in my dream house, whatever. And then I realized that to talk about the weight, like I was choking on it. Like one day mm-hmm. I was just like, it's all gotta go. Yeah. It's all gotta go. Cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things, back to the subject of the psychology side, I think what I try to get athletes to do is put themselves in a moment where the exploration is really raw. Hmm. So. How would you do that? Make them hurt. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm serious. I'm totally serious. That's true. the, The time to explore what you're made of is not while we're sitting here talking. Like I can tell you, I can tell you what it feels like at mile 80 of 100. I can describe it. But it doesn't do you any good until you're in it yourself and you can experience that. Or, you know, telling an athlete, one of the biggest things, like I said before, that most athletes don't reach their goals because of a psychological disconnect or they, you know, they mentally lose it. 
the way that you work on that specifically is doing a 15 miles easy and then seven miles hard. And then at that, you know, six to seven mile point, that's where you're, that's where you learn everything. Mm. You know, you don't learn anything in that first 10. You're just jogging along. Do do do. But once you start picking it up and you start to suffer and you really want to slow down and you're, you're hurting, are you really hurting? Examine that, like really feel it. Like close your eyes and just go inside your body and really feel what you're feeling. And nine times out of 10, it's not pain. It's, it's this weird desire that, to, to slow down. Central governor. Yeah, it's it protecting you. It's, Absolutely. Yeah. It's fight or flight um, at a reptilian mm-hmm. level. Yeah. Um, but that's, the, that's when you do it. That's, that's when you discover more about yourself. And the, the best way to do it um, a little more easily is the sauna. The sauna will bring that out in you. Just, oh, so, so mean. <laughs> it is. It sounds like you've experienced this yourself. Oh, I've sat in the sauna for an hour. Really? And 40 minutes in a 200 degree sauna is harder than a 5K. So what do you do sure. when everything's telling you to get out? What do you do? Lucho. I think you have to, you, you don't try to, don't think big picture and don't try to overthink it. You have to go, you have to suck everything back down into a fine point of, of existence. So what is that fine? Like you personally, sit still. but what do you, what do you bring your, <laughs> where's your awareness? Where is it? Physically? Yeah. Like where's your aware? Cause there's probably, there's not, I think it's brain impulses it, it, in your mind. Yeah. I saying, don't think it's in, in, a, in a sauna. It's in your head. Yeah. Um, running wise, it's probably more center mass. Mm-hmm. I would say it's more pelvic region. And so, do you just feel into that sensation? I think fully? You, you you rather you pinpoint it. You, yeah. you Don't go outside of that. Like don't don't start thinking outside of that. You have to really focus it down into a fine point and focus just on that. I love. So I say it, that in my yoga classes. I'm like, go to like the very like first. I say go to like where the sensation is in your body. Yeah. And then okay, so now you're here. And don't leave it. And now, but I want you to go <laughs> to like to the epicenter. Yeah. Like yeah. where That's is exactly the it. pinpoint mm-hmm. of where it where it begins? Mm-hmm. And I want you to rest your awareness in there now. But you have to. You have to go to that place to do that. Yes. Like you can't do that while you're sitting on the couch watching TV. You have to right. be on, you have, if you're training <clears throat> to endure a tremendous amount of stress and discomfort, the only way to do that is it's to be in stress and discomfort. <laughs> yeah. It's practice. Right. It's practice hurting. Um, but the sauna is great because you can sit there and feel the process happen just very <laughs> passively. You're just sitting there. <laughs> And you see you know, people come in and out. You do, out. you do. <laughs> you know, 10 minutes into it, your foot starts tapping. 15, 20 minutes into it, you're, you're fidgeting. You can't get comfortable. You're moving around. 20 minutes, 30 minutes into it, you, you really want to get out. And you have no idea why. You just, you need to get out. Mm. And you can't, you can't define it. 40 minutes in, you're, yeah, you'd you're give anything pushing, to get yeah. out. Or, and you can also equate that to, you are pushing, you're kicking. You can equate that to a race where, you know, mile 20 of a marathon, you really want to slow down. You really want to stop. You you don't want to hold this pace anymore. It's very, very connected. And you just, you have to do it. There's no secret. It's not, you know, it's not... um, Nothing to do with the Krebs cycle, nothing to do with metabolic economy, nothing to do with science. It's willpower. It's just 
do it. Sit, just sitting yeah. with that. But you yeah. have to get familiar with it. You do. It, it, you do. Then it's not. It's the only way. Yeah, because you're like, all right, yeah. I've been. Because then, then you have the beauty of the subconscious saying, I've been here before. Mm-hmm. Like, we've been here before. We did this before. Remember that this. run? It was hell. Well, now we're here on the race that we did to, you know, we did that run to prepare for mm-hmm. this. I'm here now. I can definitely do this. It's like the Grand, Grand Canyon analogy. I'm totally fake. Yeah. Tell me about the Grand. So, so this comes from our yoga teacher. Um, yeah. But this is such a great thing so for coaching, too. We, yeah, our yoga teacher. Um, would say, so you have a brochure here of the Grand Canyon and I can show you like, here it is, it's nice and pretty and you can take this route and this route and you know, temperatures will be here and it'll take you this long to go. Or I can take you and put you in the Grand Canyon, physically in the Grand Canyon and you need to find your way out. Do you want me to show you the brochure? Or do you want to be yeah. down there? Like, do you want to read the pamphlet out? or do right. you want to be in the brochure? And like. And I keep bringing it back to my experience as a teacher in yoga, but as a teacher of yoga and I'm in a class, I hear a lot of yoga teachers just talking, talking about yoga, talking about the teachings of yoga. And I'm always thinking like, oh man, if you just put me in that Grand Canyon so that I could practice yoga, mm-hmm. that'd be way more effective for me. Absolutely. Way more yeah. effective. Um, so that just speaks to, to your philosophy mm-hmm. and, and I believe in it too because I experienced it you put me in that you put me there yeah. in those opportunities and so mm-hmm. that just starts to switch things in your mind it, you set a new norm basically mm-hmm. but you always you can get up to the next norm and the next norm and yeah. continually yeah you progress can. yeah 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 but I, I think the, the electronics prevent a lot of that I really do I think listening to music it's, oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. Yeah, I've, I've been a, I've been very much a music guy for a lot of years, um, but I've always been profoundly surprised that when I didn't have music, the workout was a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> and then I would the next day I would put my headphones back in and I would go again. <laughs> and then one day I would my iPod battery would be dead and I would have this fantastic workout. And the same thing would happen with the Garmin. You know, you forget to charge it, and you're like, ah, oh, crap. I know. No Garmin. I'll just I've go done without three it. races this year, and, and the like, Garmin's Whoa. died every race. I'm my like, first ultra was whatever. a 50-miler, and it, I put it in my in transition, and I, for some reason, it was a, it was a Garmin 410, and it had like a four-hour battery life. It was, tor- it was horrible. It was like one of those <laughs> huge. Like big. It was. It was like a <laughs> laptop on my wrist. And I got into, I got, I was going to, I was going to put it on, what was I going to do? I was going to put it on on the second lap for some reason. I can't remember why, but I picked it up and it was dead. And so I, I went with zero watch and it was unbelievable just how connected you, you can, you can get inside yourself and you, it's better. It's almost more precise than a garment. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's if so you learn important. to listen to your body, it's more precise because oh, you're a, gosh. your body knows what's happening. I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> it goes without saying your body is 10 times smarter than you'll ever be. If you're if you're willing to hear it out, so. I love that. So, what was that first fifty miler you did? Uh, it was in Huntsville, Alabama, called the Dizzy Fifties. Nice. When did let's I go? It last yeah, minute. I hadn't planned on it. That <laughs> doesn't surprise me. Um, when did you start running? When did running come into your life? When I was eleven. And I Tell mean, us. Super active as a kid. Grew up on farms in Kansas. Never in, inside. You know, most of us, I think, of, of, of a certain age. Oh, yeah. Are, are my like mother that. would lock the door and she'd be like, <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah, like, my mom was just come home when it's dark. Yeah. Or not. But, um, yeah, and I got asked to, if I wanted to do the state championships 
for the um, what is it the the youth mile or the youth track and field? Is that the same thing as uh, Anton? The that mile the. Pres- oh, the presidential mile? No, it wasn't no, this that. different this than was that. That was like a gym test you had to take. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I, w- I got in. I w- jumped in that, and I won the mile. I don't even remember my times. I don't. I'm notorious for not remembering my times. I don't remember what I ran. Do you remember the experience though? You. I don't remember. You don't. No. I don't remember any of my Leadville stuff. I couldn't do it. I can get you within ten minutes of the finish times. No, but do you remember like being there? Like not in the, the no. Leadville races. Oh, in the mile, I don't. Oh, okay. But even in like the Leadville one hundred, I only remember maybe fifteen minutes of the first time I did it. I don't remember anything about that race. But um, so then I, I was in a super active school. I went out for vocal, band, football, basketball, track. Um, Singer, songwriter, <laughs> athlete. You were just in everything. <laughs> um, it was a school of 96 kids. So I had 10 people in my class. And everybody did everything. And so I played every sport. Um, but for, I think one of the biggest things that, and I, I've thought about this frequently, is that one of the things that shaped me the most was weight training really big time weightlifting from the time I was maybe 12 or 13. Not like trying to be a bodybuilder, mm-hmm. but lifting for football, lifting for basketball and stuff like that. Um, and then got into high school and had really good coaches. Um, nobody pushed me. It was just a matter of like peer pressure. Like you wanted to be good for the team. Um, got a scholarship to college, ran two years in college, dropped out and traveled started smoking smoked two packs a day nice like I went from what was your brand Marlboro <laughs> yeah I did Marlboro lights yeah did you pack them real good oh yeah <laughs> Zippo too oh, oh I love my god Zippo. totally love the lighter fluid but um <laughs> that's so gross I, when man when you just said so that horrible. like I could hear the uh, Zippo yes, open and I could and smell the flame smell the smell the lighter fluid with that fr- totally. yeah, yeah let's not go there nasty but, um, I went from basically all-American and indoor track and field to two packs a day to Ironman that quick. What happened with the it two packs? That, when did that, why? Yeah, when did that? I just started smoking. I grew up around, <clears throat> everybody in my family smoked. Everybody. But you weren't So it running. wasn't a big deal. But were you still running? <clears throat> no. Yeah. I, I went from being on a track team at Arkansas. I got a scholarship to the University of Arkansas. Made it two weeks. I went there right before the summer, right before school started, two weeks before, ran with the track team that was the early guys and realized that I was horrible. I wouldn't even have made the, the, the C team. And I just walked away. <laughs> I told the coach, I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I'm not gonna do this. So I, I literally, if I remember right, I got in my car, drove to a 7-Eleven, got gas, bought a pack of cigarettes and drove back home. That was it. <laughs> so what happens then? So so then that was 92. Okay. 89, 90, 99. It was 91, summer of 91. Um, and then just started traveling all over the place, all over the world. Uh, South America ended up in the Caribbean. And then Hurricane Maryland wiped out the island. It was on St. John. 90% of all the roofs had been damaged. Most of them gone. And this roofing guy needed help and... The bars, we had, we were without power for months, and I was a bartender, and they ended up not needing near as many bartenders because there was no power, no alcohol. All the beer was, the business was crap. So he needed help roofing. I got onto his crew. He was a triathlete, and 
I told him about my running and stuff, and and he asked if I wanted to do a triathlon in St. Croix called The West is Best. Little tiny one, put on by Graham Frazier. Yeah. Remember that name? Mm-hmm. Owned Ironman Canada. He also owns Ironman St. Croix, or what is now 70.3. Mm-hmm. Um, did West is Best, got third, had a cigarette after the race. Um, <laughs> What did training look like? Was there any training none, at all? You were none. just it was show up. borrow a bike yeah. and go. Cool. Um, and then immediately after, like I got back and the guy Robbie, um, he really was wanted me to train with him, and so I just started training and quit smoking and and it was that easy. It was just yeah, I'm done. <laughs> started training and and did well at Saint Croix, and then the following year started doing a lot of running races. Ended up running under 15 minutes for a 5k a bunch um four times i think 1420s 1430s and did west is best one broke the record and then st croix uh won my age group got a slot to ironman canada so that was my fourth triathlon and then moved back home qualified at buffalo springs um and then did ironman hawaii <laughs> and you're when do you turn pro when did you turn too early, but um, now I did in 2000. That was 1997, and then in 2000 I was 16th overall at Ironman Hawaii in top amateur, and then I went pro. Why do you think you turned too early? I wasn't. That wasn't good enough. I think mm. I. I think I, I. I didn't handle the pressure well at all. If I would have been an age grouper, I think that everybody's an individual, obviously, but everybody is nurtured along in a certain way, and. Having that pressure, which I don't think I ever felt, there was never any ex- expectations on me to do well. It was always within myself. And when I turned pro, um, all of a sudden there was these, probably my own expectations to match all this stuff, and I tried too hard. <laughs> See, that? I, I tried way too hard. Overtrained, you think? I honestly don't think I overtrained really. I think I was just too tired to race well. Because um, true just... overtraining is is extremely debilitating. Yeah, like I did think you, I was just tired. Did you you didn't have a did you have a coach? Because I know you mm-hmm. sort of not I had a people coach. help a little bit, okay. but it wasn't it wasn't anything that that I felt was that beneficial. Yeah. Most of what I learned was trial and error. But the problem that I had, and this goes back to the weight training that I did, is I was so damn durable that the trial and error became mostly just trials. <laughs> you weren't failing. I didn't too hurt. Much. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't like my mistakes. Didn't hurt me. You know, forty-hour training weeks with a ton of intensity. That was all right. And Never how long injured. did you uh, race pro? Um, seven years. No, and six years. Until we saw you mm-hmm. on the plane. Yeah, that was my last race. Last one. Mm-hmm. Fifteen Ironmans. Wow. Yeah. And how? How many? You when did? How long? How often? How often did you go to Kona? How many times Every did month. you race, race six, Kona? Six times. Six times. Yeah. So were you qualifying as a pro as well and racing pro there? Yeah. Back then it was easier. Nowadays yeah. the qualification standards are completely different. Yeah. Back then you you just had to, God, what was it? Finish. I don't even remember. I think you had to finish like top six or something like that. But back then, yeah. Yeah. And back then, like, I remember the, the first pro race I did, there was 120, or no, my, when the year I won top amateur and was 16th overall, there was 120 pro men. 
that's how many pros there were. Now there's what, four? Yeah. <laughs> that's like 60 or something? Yeah. 60. So half as many yeah. pro men. So back then there was a lot of slots and there were half the Ironmans. Remember mm, that too? Yeah. So back in 2004, there were... Oh, that's right. There were yeah. what, four or five Ironmans in the U.S.? That's yeah. it? Not well, and you could qualify weekend. at halves. Yeah. You could qualify yeah. for Kona at halves. So mm-hmm. what was it that... Y- was it building within you where you're just like, I'm done. Okay, I'll do one more race. I'm done. Or were you like, what was the final thing that made you say I'm oh, done? Oh, that's, that's rough. <laughs> a, I think I quit too soon. Mm. I mean, looking back on how many guys continued on to, you know, I was 34, 35 when I quit. That's prime now. Mm. I mean, look at Craig Alexander. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still 38, doing- 39 and crushing it. Cameron Brown, what is he, 45? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's all these athletes that are, you know, late 30s that were doing really well. And I honestly believed that I wasn't going to get better. And mm-hmm. once that happened, it was easy to walk away. It was, you know, once you, it's why I won't go back. Because I can't go 850. I can't, I can't be. Better your time. I can't better, time. I can't be better than I was. So I'm not going to go back. So, but, so what does Lucho now say to Lucho then? <laughs> keep going, just keep trying. <laughs> But I was, when I look at my training logs, I was a total idiot. I would have, I would have tried much harder to get a good coach because I didn't know what I was doing and I, I thought more was better. Simple is that. It was nothing, there was nothing more than that. I'm doing more than Tim DeBoom. I'm going to beat him. Not even close. Like profoundly off, mm. you know. I think that's kind of a, a flawed premise in the human species this idea that we have mm-hmm. to do more that if we do more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know we're worth more or we'll do sure. better at it more and is always better yeah. yeah so i've been practicing this this idea of inaction like it's less in, is more yeah like less <laughs> is more and and making more space you know energetically for whatever to come in mm-hmm. and for whatever that sign is to okay this is what you need to do next like kind of waiting and trusting and having faith that that next logical step's gonna mm-hmm. come to me and then I'll take it as opposed to like how I lived before which was just like gripping the wheel of mm-hmm. life like so like white knuckle like listen life I think there's times that that's good yeah not, not all the I mean time. well you there's can't w- live like that but I think at times no, you can have that's a strong will that. yeah right and I think a strong will is a really really precious thing mm-hmm. to have it's just how are you directing sure it right yeah are you a getting more skillful at it blast furnace or a laser beam type thing like right people just explode everything where if they just focused it would be better yeah mm-hmm. i say tim the boom by the way because he's he was my idol yeah <laughs> so he was always the guy that i i looked at as the guy you know he was pretty awesome yeah i mean yeah. he, is still, he still is awesome. yeah he's he still is we he's just saw nicole a couple days ago oh nicole's just a yeah. total sweetheart she won her age she's group awesome. at the boulder she's peak so funny <laughs> she's she, awesome. so amazing she shows up she's like you guys wearing wetsuits we're like yeah and she's like oh Nicole, they're swimmers. <laughs> I know, yeah, and she like, didn't. Yeah. Like, right before the gun went off, this girl went by me, like, charging to the front. And I'm like, yeah. look at that girl getting, I'm like, oh, it's the boom, of course. Exactly. But she She's just like had 50 it. degrees, and they're like, you're wearing a wetsuit? I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> She's awesome. Swimmers. It was so good to, uh, to reconnect with her. I haven't seen her yeah. in years. And then Some of the coolest people I've ever met. Yeah, totally cool. Tim and Tony both. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we ran. We, we ran to Tony uh, in Arizona. I ran Arizona a few mm-hmm. years ago. I had a nice chat with him, but they were 
the they left yesterday because Tim is. She said he's working at the Alaska Extreme Triathlon. He's doing something cool with them. So they're in <clears> Alaska <throat> right now. Right on. Yeah, we've got a friend doing that. Um, Good stuff. That triathlon. Yeah. So um, okay. So now you're done with being pro. Mm -hmm. You're like. You, you change son. BJ's. Yeah. yeah, you have your son. You change BJ's life on the plane, <laughs> and then you had your last pro race, and you said, "All right, yeah, time to move into it." And, and was Ben a, a no? I didn't go into ultras. No. I had never planned to go into ultras. No. It was an accident. Was Ben a um, a big factor in that? Like, want to be there with him? Hundred percent. Because you, if I wouldn't have had, I'm I'm not going to go there. But yeah, he was a big factor. I'm not gonna say. That's what I was gonna say. Is if I hadn't didn't <laughs> okay, have, I'll go there. <laughs> if I didn't have Ben, I might have stuck with it longer. But that's extremely misguided. Yeah. It's I'm I don't know how to word it. Like he was the best thing that ever happened to me. Right. And so walking away was not. I don't look back at that and be like shucks. You know. Right. You were it walking into like something that. huge, bigger. And much amazing. bigger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like much, fifty thousand times bigger. Yeah. So. And you've always it's just been... an observation that if I would have stuck with it longer, I probably would have done better. But I'm glad I didn't. I really am. Because so. you're a good dad. Yeah. You're pretty hands-on. You're okay. I don't know if there's ever a good dad. <laughs> it's always a work in progress, man. Because but... they are changing, like, Constantly. bacteria in a petri dish, man. They, they are. It's not that inaccurate. Those little kids carry a lot of germs. <laughs> they, like, they're growing daily. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not there to see it, what's the point? You know, yeah. that's how I always thought. Yeah. Yeah. But you have this really cool tradition of making their birthday cakes <laughs> from scratch. Yeah. Cause we see them and we're like, we would definitely dive into that. They're not, they're not pro cakes. They but look really good. They're a, a dad giving a damn good try. Yeah. But <laughs> that's yeah. what it is. Some of the, what are some of the things that you've made with those cakes? Um, I made a trout that was <laughs> leaping out of the water. So it was, it was half in, half out with his tail coming out. Um, I made, well, I have two boys, so there's a lot of cakes. If I can remember all of them. I made a, a giant semi-tractor trailer, which is Optimus Prime. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I remember that. that. A lot of yeah. food coloring I think going it on. Was, I try to limit that. But uh, <laughs> it was nine cakes. I mixed nine cake batters nine. to make that. Oh, my cake. God, to make Optimus Prime? Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Um, How long does something like that take? It's like a three-day thing. <laughs> <laughs> by the time the party comes, the cake's stale. Yeah, but it, yeah. What else? There's some good Spider-Man cakes. Oliver's into Spider-Man. Lots of cars, like um, Lightning McQueen nice. from the movie Cars. Mm -hmm. um, God, there's been some... What I'm, I'm forgetting. Oh, I made Kylo Ren's head from Star Wars. The new Star Wars? Have you seen that? I haven't no. seen it. Yeah, the, the, like it's like Darth Vader. Okay. But it's Kylo Ren, like a really pretty good detailed helmet. I made BB-8, <laughs> which is also from that. Um, that one took, that one took seven cakes, I think, total. Oh my God, that's so, crazy. And it was a, it was a sphere. I made a sphere cake. <laughs> you have any idea how hard that Singers, is? No, Singers, Singers, whatever. Make a athlete. sphere cake uh, using four <laughs> cake batters. Oh, it's brutal. Cake, cake artistry. We'll add that to your resume. No, no. And no. then ultras, the thing that you were never planning on getting into. Yeah. How'd you was, get into that? So I was doing, I was training for the Chicago Marathon and we bought this house and we moved up here. And I don't know if you noticed on the way, but it's hilly. Yes. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. It's extremely hilly. And I'm like, I'm training for Chicago and I live here. That's ridiculous. 
So I, I wrote to Chicago. <clears throat> I got in as, with an elite card, frontline and everything, and wrote them and said I wasn't doing it. I'm not doing it. So, and then we were going to Alabama <laughs> to visit my, my wife's mom and dad, and there was a 50-mile just up the road in Huntsville. Yeah, okay. I'll do that. I love it. Never even considered it. I think I had enough time to do one long run, and it was 30 miles, and it hurt so bad. It's like so hard. But I, I ran Ironman Wisconsin one year. I went off course, missed a turn, ran about two miles, roughly two, mile and, mile and three quarters off course, and rather than get DQ'd, I turned around and retraced my steps and got back on course. <clears throat> so I ran 29 miles in an Ironman. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. You can do a 50 miler. I, yeah. I was like, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. Of course. Um, and so, yeah, I did that race, broke the course record and won. And 6.30 something, I think, 6.38 maybe. It was under so 6.40 nice. for, for my first 50. Did you like it? Like, Yeah, I loved it. It yeah. was fun. It was, it was really just completely different than what I'm used to. Getting off the concrete. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't, I couldn't let go of the speed factor. I just couldn't let it go. And I had to, finally was forced to at Leadville, where I did a race called the Hemes 50, which is really, really hard. And this was before my first Leadville 100. And it completely demoralized me. I was completely broken, gave up, ready to quit the sport. Super negative, very low. Right after I got done, I spent the next w month just complete introspection on that. Why? Why was that? Why did, it, why did that race do that to me? And finally, I went into Leadville a few months later, the Leadville 100. Remember, I just failed miserably at a 50. And I'm now going to do 100. Like, Let's do it. And my one goal was to be positive. That was it. I had no other goal. I didn't have a watch. I had nothing. And I didn't even, I never looked at the course map. I never looked at the elevation profile. I went in completely just ready to be within myself and just be positive. That was it. I went off course four times. And I was happy. I was laughing at it. And I'm like, whatever, let's get back on course. And I did fantastic. I mean, when I was positive, even when I was suffering, I was so positive that it didn't hurt. It was all good. Power of the mind. It was. And it, it, you know, Molly, it it's amazing. It's yeah. really, really powerful stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's easy to, um, I, you know, some people may say sick satisfaction. I say delicious. Like it's so delicious sometimes <laughs> to indulge that negativity because yeah. it's just like locked and loaded. It's ready to go. It's all right you mean there. mean like release it type of thing? Well, no, to buy into it and like just kind of oh, get yeah. into that negativity. Yeah. Especially and, when other people around you are feeding it to you. Oh yeah. You got to like get away from it in those your face. people. So many toxic people. Oh yeah. That's one reason I hate traffic so much. Mm. is you look around and it's just toxic man everybody's aggro mm -hmm. behind the wheel of a car i had an aggro experience Psychos. in the parking lot of whole foods yesterday and, which is like the typical soccer like, mom the, yeah like the <laughs> crazy moms at pearl yeah. street whole foods and it was really funny because i didn't i was just going you know you could kill like 20 people easily in that parking mm -hmm. lot because there's people everywhere and kids and and uh just we're going off course here but all of a sudden I hear the beeping and I've got the, you know, the New England arms in, in the mirror behind me, like throwing up her hands. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think she's like, I think she's like, what were you, what were you right. doing? I was just driving slow, looking for go. a spot and um, trying not how, to yeah, kill anyone. How, how dare you? And uh, <laughs> this is the funny thing. 
So then I could feel myself like being like, I, I, is she going into Whole Foods? She wants like, to go down? Oh, yeah, like, yeah, it. like I could feel that part <laughs> of me like, oh, I want to see what she's in such a rush about, yeah. you know? What kind of food is she going to buy? Is it going to be healthy? You know, I was all like, this, Wait, yeah, all Whole this Foods, stuff. they don't have <laughs> anything but. <laughs> and I saw her a couple times like, I don't know, because she had this headband on. That's what I, that's so how she I remember So she was an aggro about getting into the store. I guess so. And so anyway, I was like... You know, it was yeah, it was fine. Yeah. But this is the funny part. When I come out of the store, um, there's a car that's in the middle of the road and it's backing up like three people and this other person's trying to to back out of their spot and this car is right in the middle of the road and she's and she's talking to a friend and her friend's like, Oh yeah, I just got this skirt. Was it, her? it was her in the car and it went by. I'm like, Oh my god, there's the headband. So she she's was talk about the mirror, like the projection, right? She was aggravated with me because I was going slow, but she was holding <laughs> up all this traffic in the parking lot. That's lives. what I mean about when I very long a long time ago <laughs> into this podcast I said that, that Americans or not American, I shouldn't say Americans, but people nowadays they don't Take responsibility for for what they do. Right. She had no she idea had what no she was clue doing. What she was doing. She had totally forgotten what she, she was had angry done. at you for what you did. Yet she didn't <laughs> even have the wherewithal or the self knowledge to understand that she's worse. I know she's so, worse so. because she was mad at you for doing what she's doing. <laughs> so it's crazy, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's interesting. The the mind is interesting. Social the, media, oof. The way that we that see just, the yeah, that's world. That's definitely an area. That's where a big one. People feed, just feed it, and you're only posting good stuff. I've, Nobody I've, posts their bad stuff. So. I, this, I'm not making this story up, and I've told it before. My When my kids were younger, we went in and looked at a kitten video on YouTube. And it, there was no music. Can't hate. There's no music to hate. There's just these like four little kittens rolling around on this carpet. Not even ugly carpet. Couldn't see anything else. Just these four kittens, and there were four dislikes. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, wait, what? What? <laughs> Like, I get it. I get you have the right to do that. But why do you dislike this video? I just, I, it's like, there's always going to be somebody, regardless of what you do, yeah. is going to be, is not going to like something. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. And you got to be able to And you, you have to show it. You have, that person couldn't just go to the video and be like, oh, I don't like that. I'm going to go I'm to not going to look at little kittens I'm going to hit this thumbs down <laughs> purposely. and let people know <laughs> that I do not like these kittens. Like I gotta, I gotta put that out there. I gotta share my disgust with people. I gotta yeah. share my anger. So there's a lot of that out there, like kind of moving around for hmm. us to buy into. Yeah, um, the comments. Yeah. Like, like the, one of the big, my big pet peeves is anonymous comments. People who are just mm. are cowards and they don't have the they they won't own what they're about to say. They're gonna yeah. post anonymously, and so they don't. I mean, what's that feel like, right? Mm, kind like of to be. To sit there after you've done it, and you're like, sit back, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I showed them. I don't know. Like, Do they even realize how they, no. pathetic that is? I don't know. I was, I was the, I was never the anonymous type. I was very much like. I've done it. I I've done be... it years ago. It was a long time ago. Anonymous. Over ten years ago, at least. And yeah. And, and how I do I feel? I'm still worried about it. <laughs> it's been ten years, and I remember it. I'm still bothered by it. <laughs> That's how that's how I feel. Like yeah. it's disgusting. Like you just kind of carry it carries it, with it's you. It's a weight that you mm -hmm. carry. It's this it's not I would say maybe guilt, but it's more a shame. Hmm. Like oh my god, I'm pathetic. Yeah, well at least I you did didn't that. dislike the kitten video. Yeah. I love it. That would have been side. worse. <laughs> All right. But the other tough thing is that I have to I have to raise children in this. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. tough. I can see 
people who don't have kids. And I think sometimes at the back of my mind, I'm like, they're a little bit lucky, you know, mm. because it's not because I don't love my kids. It's because of the world that we're in. Mm. And I have to, I have to basically raise this little person to be able to navigate this shit show. Yeah. Of the world with yeah. all the negativity and the anger and the hate and everything. And I have to, I mean, it's like preparing a person for battle. Yeah. And then al- allowing them to have their, like, their get, they they need to have their disappointments and their... Oh, that's tough. You know, that's yeah. Really tough. And not try and control that. step back and let them fail. We've been mm-hmm. talking a lot of, mm-hmm. with that, with like our friend that we're staying with. Of. Like, you know, like, everybody wins. Like, there's no losing that's team. Like, you gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta, there's always... I'm a, very much it, against that. Yeah, very <laughs> much so. And so, yeah, it's hard to kind of take your hands off the wheel, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's go back. To, let's back it up. Um, so Leadville. Leadville. Oh, so you had a great race at Leadville. Mm-hmm. That was your first 100. Mm-hmm. How many times did you run Leadville? Twice. Twice. Mm-hmm. Second the, time was for Leadman. Yeah, well, that's what yeah. I want to talk about. So yeah. That's what I want to get so, to. So what is Leadman for the people out there? That so Leadville, down. the Leadville race series is the marathon, in this order, marathon, 50-mile bike, 50-mile run, 100-mile bike, 10K, 100-mile run. And it's it used when I did Leadman that took place in nine weeks, so seven races in nine weeks. Um, and for the Leadman, you do all of them with the, but you can choose between the fifty bike and the fifty run. You can do one or the other or both. Um, and I, I was my only interest was winning Leadman. That was it. So I did the fifty bike. Um, so yeah, I started with the marathon, placed second. And then went to the 50 bike, and I don't know, it was 21st or something like that. And then the 100 bike, and then the 10K, and then the Ludville 100 run. So. Aren't the 10K and the 100 There's something back close? In, so the, the what, 100 bike back is, to back? The 100 bike is Saturday. The 10K is Sunday. That's what it is. And yeah, then okay. the 100 run is five days later. Oh, yeah. There you go. Okay. So within that seven-day period, you're doing the 100 bike, a 10K, and the 100 run. And I raced the 10K really hard. <laughs> I, I was throwing up to finish. <laughs> I ran 37 minutes. What 10, made you want to do that? I, I wanted to, A, I wanted to win one of the races. I wanted to win one of the Leadman races outright. And I had a shot at that because I, I ran 37 something and went under the old, I broke the old course record. And I should have won if those other three guys wouldn't have shown up. The 10K. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> three other fast dudes showed up and I got so my butt kicked. Four of you guys broke the record. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. You... but it was also so tempting because I, I, after I rode the 100 bike and I went 840, I think. And then, you know, 12 hours later, we're lining up for the 10K and it just took me right back to Ironman where you mm. you start mm. that run in your leg. You know the feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your legs very are just, much so. Blah. How are they going to... But they're working. But they're, they yeah. feel horrible, but they're working so good. And so I just went with it. The body's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm always in amazement of, of what it can do and how it can... Yeah. Like how I bounce and the smarter I get mm-hmm. about training and hanging in that gap and not buying into the crap yeah. of life. Like... I'm, I just move smoother and smoother through mm-hmm. these race experiences. Like, yeah. yeah, there's highs and lows available all the time. And there's the mountains and of life and the waves of life that keep coming. But I find like I'm able to kind of surf those things a lot more skillfully That's, now. It comes with age. Yeah. Experience, yeah, yeah for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I like crave, I crave the run portions of Ironmans now. Always. 
Yeah. Like, I could never wait to get off the just bike. Just get me there off the bike. I was ready to start the run during the swim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, give me on this, give me on the run, give me on the run, I'm swimming. The bike's just patience. Yeah, it is. The bike's just patience. Yeah. All right. Well, I know we should probably get wrapping this up. What is, specifically, because we have a lot of Ironman um, Iron folk that mm-hmm. listen to this, I guess talking, one of your things I think you were so amazing at and, and still are, I'm sure, is like race strategy. Like, And I remember that through BJ. Mm-hmm. And um, and funny enough, one of the things that I think BJ is so amazing at is his race strategy. Like I have, I never question his training or anything. And I, I, I just kind of go through the motions and I do the workouts. I don't question them. I just trust the process. And then somehow I'm like ready for the race. And then the race execution is like amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in race execution for an Ironman, where do you see people making their biggest mistakes? Not being flexible. Oh, mm-hmm. love that. They get locked into <laughs> what they think they should be doing and it's not right. I mean, once again, how do I predict what you're going to feel at mile 20? You have to be ready to flex and go and be more fluid with it. Depending on how you feel, good or bad. How nutrition is a big one. You know, you don't get locked into, you know, I'm going to take a gel every 25 minutes, regardless. And then by the, you know, mile 80 of the bike, your stomach is completely bloated. It's shut down. You're done. You know, be, be ready to, to be able to make adjustments on the fly, but have the skill and experience to know what to do. And that comes from training. You know. Training, but also training and like really knowing that, that felt, I call it like the felt sense of like what's happening in your body yeah. so that you can say, you know what? Oh, felt sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't need, that's a very massage school. That's a very massage school term I just came up with. Like, I don't need this gel right now. Mm-hmm. Like everything says on paper right. that I'm supposed to take it, but I know right if now. I take it, I'm going to like have way full belly trying yeah. to get on that run. And well, if you understand the science of digestion with a, you know, making sure that your stomach is in an isotonic state, once your stomach starts to feel full, Putting more nutrition in it is making it worse by, by a long, long way. And also, if your stomach, I always thought this, if your stomach's full, you don't need more food because you're full, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you've got, they've got 500 calories sitting in your stomach, not going anywhere. Once you get that through, you're good to go, right? So you, just, you have to switch to water and that's it. Now, start with a really sound foundational concept. Start with that and then work up. Yeah. That's it. And what about physically, the way they're navigating the race physically as far as their paces and things like mm-hmm. that? Where are you seeing people just... Discipline, first of all. Like, if you're going to use half a power meter, use the damn power meter. <laughs> don't, don't ignore it. You know, I'm going to ride 200 to 220 watts, and you see their power profile, and it's 280 for the first 10 miles. Like, what were you doing? <laughs> That's not... That, that doesn't make any sense. Or, you know, if you're having a bad day and 200 watts feels horrible, back off. It's not going to happen. You know, you're going to be done by mile 20. So just chill, relax, try to mitigate it and see if you can come out of this funk. Yeah. Don't get locked. Don't have blinders on. And I think that goes back to what you're saying, being flexible. flexible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And use your training logs to guide you. If you don't have a coach, use your training logs to guide you to a realistic pace. It's in there. I can take anybody's training logs and glance through it and five minutes later come up with a whole Ironman pace plan just by looking at all your long runs. There's your interval work. You know, you're, you know, how fit are you? All this, all this stuff is right there to be, to be deciphered if you look for it and it'll tell you exactly. It won't tell you, like people go and they have these calculators and these fancy things, you know, they, they go onto forums and they're like, I did this workout. What can I do? 
at Iron Man. You know, it's it's all specific. There's a book written about you, <laughs> about you, right there. Just don't pay attention to all this other stuff and look at the book. Read the book. You know, it's about you. Here's on this. I'm on these Facebook forums for all the Iron Man um, yeah. races, and that's exactly what people are doing. Like I've done so this insecure. in training. This in training. So what do you think yeah. I can do on race day? And it's just insecure. It's just insecure, and it's yeah. it's mostly first timers. You know, that, and I get that. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. that's that's stuff's huge. You yeah. need that. You kind of need that. But right. yeah, and a first timer, I think you can take a lot of those rules and sort of. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First timer is an exception. Yeah, you can't. It's you, really hard to guide. And I, what I tell first timers is just have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, go a little easier than you want to on the swim. Go a lot easier than you want to on the bike. And then just have fun on the run. Just to keep it easy. Mm. And almost always they do just fine. Do. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I, one of the, the foundational concepts that I really think is important is <clears throat> anytime somebody is new to a sport, they should not necessarily aim low, but start off with a success. Make it motivating. Because if you take some, and I learned this mostly, I think, from having kids, if you just crush someone's spirit out of the gate... Yeah. It sucks, man. But if you if they do their first race and they're left thinking, oh my God, that was so fun. I can do better. I felt amazing. Then you go from there rather than they DNF at mile four of the bike because they, they're so horribly, they went so horribly wrong. What's that? Like, what do you, that's your start? Mm, come on. So your first time at anything should just be fun. And then, and then go from there. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Any so, more questions? No more questions. But if people have questions for you. Yes. What? No. <laughs> Lucho. Lucho actually has a podcast He's with our do. friend, Tani. And I'm starting a second one. Yeah, That's and you're starting a second one. Where can they check you out? So Endurance Planet. Endurance Planet. Just go to the Facebook page and you'll probably find something. And there. all your questions, Lucho cannot wait to answer for you, especially when they're about math. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll answer them. <laughs> cool. We'll put everything in the show notes, get you hooked up with everyone. Uh, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you guys. Appreciate it. Very nice. The one and only Lucho. You guys have heard Beach speak on the pod, and isn't there so much similarity between him and Lucho? Like they say, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And this is what happened. And this guy just holds such a sweet place in my heart because he pushed BJ constantly to get out of his comfort zone, and it has paid him back tenfold. It was really a pleasure to have this convo. And like I said, I could have gone on forever. I think Lucho and I could really dig in for an awesome mindfulness episode. What do you think, Lucho? Next time when we're in your neck of the woods, you up for it, man? All right. In the meantime, you guys, check out Endurance Planet, where he hosts a show with our bud, Tani Prezak Gibson. And also, most recently, he's been host to a new podcast through EP with his bud, George Zach. So go to the blog post for this episode, and these links will be in the show notes for you. One more thing, if you haven't heard, our Patreon patrons are getting some fun extras that no one else is getting or will get. So if you've been thinking about pledging your support for the show, get there today and set yourself up because a recipe from our cookbook, which is launching, publishing soon, I promise it's coming soon, Uh, that recipe is coming to our Patreon patrons this week. So not only are they going to get a sneak peek, which actually they already got a sneak peek, they're going to be able to test the recipe. And it's so good. I just spent the last few days eating it up. 
We are really holding off on the sponsorship angle. Even though we have companies that are ready to give us money, we really want to see if we can get Patreon to a place where it can support the show and continue its intended life. So if you've been thinking about it, go ahead and make the plunge. All right, that's a wrap. And this week, you guys, I'm going to leave you with a quote. And I'm not much of a quoter, but it's one that came to be in my awareness during a meditation this morning. And it's from A Course in Miracles. Lay your arms down and come without defense. And so let that marinate. You know, who would you be? Who would you become? How would your life, your day, your moment shift if you practiced surrendering to the moments of life and especially the moments of intensity?